Those of you who have been with us this past, uh, since the beginning of the year, know that we are going through um, the, this, the series that's from uh, creation to Christ. And so we want you to, we want you to know the God's kingdom story, know it, live it, and share it. Um, and so what we're doing is taking the whole Bible and trying to break it down into sections so that way you can actually take that and be able to tell other people about it. Now, um, Doug was uh, gracious and he decided, hey, Jimmy, you're going to cover all of Abraham and get us, to, uh, get us to Egypt. So you're getting 38 chapters of the Bible in 32 minutes. I'm not going to do it that quick, that much, but I'm going to do some of that. Um, and, and then he's going to take you through Exodus and everything next week. So uh, you will be getting to that point. And, uh, and I'm looking forward to this. This is, I already spoke earlier today, and, uh, and I really just love how God is teaching me as I'm speaking as well. But if you would, open up to Genesis chapter 12, because that's where we're going to be. Um, and as you're flipping to that, or if you're on a phone, you're opening up your Bible app and closing Angry Birds or whatever game you're playing on there, you know, make sure you're opening that. I want to tell you a story. When I was in high school, uh, I had a nickname. It was a very unique, very um, imaginative nickname. It was Ranshaw. That, my last name. So as you don't know, that's my last name. So when I was in high school, I, in specifically my senior year, I was done being called just Ranshaw. You know, I wanted to have a better nickname, right? And so I thought to myself, I'll come up with my own nickname, and people will call that, and they will love it. Anybody ever tried doing that before? Yeah, absolutely, right? So I went to my friends and said, okay, everyone, you shall now call me the Buff Daddy. Jimmy the Buff Daddy Ranch. I actually tried to get that on my diploma, and my mom about killed me. So, um, but yeah, I would tell my friends, just call me Buff Daddy. And they're like, no. I'm like, come on. They're like, you weigh like 130 pounds. Like, you know. I'm like, but I'm, I'm, but no, you're not. You know. So it, as much as I tried to get that to work, it just wasn't going to work. And I'm sure that if you've ever been in a situation like that, it probably worked out the same way for you. The only way you can start something new like that is if you have all new friends. But the way nicknames work is that they are given to you, right? All of our names are given to us by someone. And the truth is, we're going to be talking about this guy who was the first person in the Bible to have his name changed by God. His name is Abram, or as we know him as Abraham. Abraham was uh, one of the first patriarchs, and he really has this amazing story um, that goes through his life. And so we're going to be looking at that today, but we're going to be pulling out some things that maybe not, may not have jumped out to you before. So in Genesis 12, we get introduced to Abraham. He was from the line of Seth, and um, after, the, after the scattering and everything else, we, we, get the set, we get here to Abraham. Chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, it says this. The Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your people, your father's household, to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the people, peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now you have to understand, this is a big ask of God. Hey, Abraham, I want you to leave your country and your people and your father's household 
and go to a foreign land. That's not that big. You know, nowadays, I mean, the other, a couple weeks ago, we had to travel uh, to Arizona for a conference, right? Got on a plane, sat on, watched a couple movies, were there and back, right? People relocate all the time in America for jobs, don't they? But in the ancient Near Eastern time, to just get up and leave all your family, to go to a new place, you are walking away from your security. You're walking away from your protection. You're walking away from your blessing, right? You're walking away from maybe inheritance, right? This was a big ask of God, but God had a big ask because he had a big promise. He said, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and I'll make your name great, and you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And you may be thinking, that, man, that's a really cool thing. I wish God would say that to me. I wish he would say, yeah, Jimmy, you, I'm going to give you all the blessings. You're going to be fully, you know, blessed. You're going to have possessions that are going to be amazing. You can use those possessions to do other things. But, you know, that blessing doesn't happen to me. And that's not true. So my first point is this. Like Abraham, we are blessed so that we can become a blessing to others, ultimately turning others into worshipers. Of God. Now, typically, when you write a sermon and you have a point like that, you save it for the end, right? Because that's a big point. But God didn't do it that way here. He started off with the big point. And you may think to yourself, once again, Jimmy, I don't have all these blessings. What are you talking about? I'm, I'm going to be blessing so I can bless others. I don't have a lot of blessings. Let me tell you right now, because you live in America, you are truly blessed. We have houses and we have homes. We have cars, we have clean water. We've got a lot of comforts that most of the world does not have. We are blessed. But see, God is not just talking about physical blessing here, right? He's talking about a spiritual blessing that's going to be coming through Abram. And that blessing that you and I have said yes to before. This blessing of the Savior, King named Jesus, that's going to be coming through this inheritance. That first thing, I will make you into a great nation. Guess what? Abraham and his wife Sarai, at the time, that was her name, they had no kids. And they were pretty old. They were up in their years, close, closer to the 100 mark than the 25 mark. And God is telling them this. And see, as he's telling them this, it's, 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 it's really... God is laying out what Doug said last week, which is this, that God launches a long-term plan to bring all nations together in worship of him. This is the long-term plan. I will build you into a great nation. You will have descendants, and I'll bless you so you can bless them, so you can teach them how good of a God that I am so they can worship me and not worship all these false idols. See, it's interesting, though, but uh, as we look at this, we understand if we look through all the chapters of Abraham's life, which is chapter 12 through 25, we find that God has to say this to Abraham more than once. He actually says it five times, right? This one we just got, the initial blessing, we, we just went through it. But then in chapter 13, he talks to him again. 
and he walks him through the ground and dust is coming up and he says, and, and this is after he and Lot had separated. Lot was his nephew. And he said, Lot, you pick the land. I'm going to pick that land over there by Sodom and Gomorrah. Not a wise plan. But he's like, I'm going to have you go and scatter around. And as the dust was going, God says, look, see how the dust is? This is how your offspring will be. More than you can count. Then he says it again, chapter 15. God pulls in and talks about this covenant that he's going to give him. A a connection, a promise, a guarantee between God and him. And in this covenant, he walks up by, (coughs) look up at the stars, he says. Can you count them? So just count too many. He goes, your descendants will be more than the stars in the sky. But part of this covenant, this is what he promises him. That he's going to give him land. Right? Does anyone know what the promised land was? Does anybody remember? The land of Canaan. If you look in one of my perspective classes that we had just a couple weeks ago, one of the, pre, uh, one of the teachers had uh, pointed out that the land of Canaan was basically like the major intersection of the ancient New Eastern world. Everyone traveled through there. And so God said, I'm going to give you this land. I'm going to give you this land not just because it's beautiful and it's going to give you blessing, but it's got a purpose. People will travel through this land and they will get to know me through you. How you can bless them. And they'll say, wow, they are truly blessed. I want to know more about them. And so they pick up after that. Second thing, part of this covenant that he has is that he will have lots of descendants. We've covered that, right? More than dust on the ground, more than stars in the sky. Many, many, many descendants. And the truth is that you and I are part of that, right? Through this family of God. Now, we're not the, the bloodline there, but blood lined us to him, right? And the third part of this is the redemption of the world and victory over the evil one through one of those descendants, and his name is Jesus. There we can say that. His name is? Jesus. There we go. His name is Jesus, right? He's the descendant. The one that conquers the evil one. Now, I have to pause because I'm saying blessing a lot. And I know in our world, in our society, that term has been used and perverted um, and used in this this prosperity gospel way. Like, just give me your blessing and God will bless you more, right? That's not what we're talking about here. We're not, we're not, we're not begging for that. We're not saying all this. We're not a televangelist here. This is not a prosperity gospel, right? This is about taking the blessing of the salvation that we get through Jesus Christ to change lost people's soul so we can win as many people possible, so we can worship together at the end our mighty God. That's what this is about. The beautiful thing in chapter 15, though, is that God actually gives a prophecy to to Abraham. It says this, as the sun was setting, Abraham fell into a deep sleep, and the thick and dreadful darkness came over him. And the Lord said, <coughs> know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own. And they will be enslaved and mistreated. But I will punish that nation they serve as slaves, and afterwards they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the, fourth generation, uh, in the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sins of the Amorites have not yet reached its full measure. 
See, Jesus, or see, God is telling Abraham, guess what? You're going to get your descendants, and they're going to be built up, but they're going to end up back in Egypt. They're going to end up in Egypt and in slavery, right? And so for next week, when you are hearing Doug talk about the Exodus and the, great, uh, the Ten Commandments, just remember this. That God already foresaw it. He already let, that know, let him know that this was what was going to happen. Genesis 17, 1 through 8, we get the change from Abraham's name, right? He goes from Abram to Abraham. Abraham means father of many nations, and so that's rightfully so. And then he gives them, now, because of this, we'll give you the sign of circumcision, right? Circumcision. Now, I don't know about you all, dads, but if you called all your friends and family and servants of all the males together and say, hey, we're going to have a family get together, this is what we're going to do, circumcision, you think anybody's going to be happy about that? Probably not. But that's what he did because he was faithful. He was faithful to his Lord. And then the last time he mentions it is in Genesis 22, 17 and 18. And we'll actually get to that later. But when I look at this, I think to myself over and over again, like, you know, we call God our father, but he's really being a parent in this time, Right? Like, how many times does he have to tell this guy that he's going to get blessed? I'm going you, like, how many times do I have to tell my kids, like, pick up your clothes. Put them in the dirty, dirty clothes hammer, right? Turn the lights off. Close the doors. Bring a towel into the bathroom with you when you take a shower, right? Can I get an amen? Am I the only one that's dealing with that, right? We have to say it over and over again. Here, God the Father is saying this over and over again to a man who's almost 100 years old. As for many of us, we have not been exposed to the Bible, you know, or and some of us that have been exposed to the Bible, we know of Abraham and some of the great things he's done. He did. He did a, a lot of really great things. But I really want to focus on some of the things that he struggled with because I think it really speaks to us a lot. So it brings me to my second point is this. Like Abram, we place our trust in the temporary and not the eternal. Like him, we place our trust in the temporary and not in the eternal. We've got three examples coming here, but I want you to think about that phrase in your life. How often do you put your trust in the temporary things on earth rather than God? Often, don't we? We trust on our cars starting every morning, our coffee makers are working every morning, that our phones are plugged in and fully charged. You ever woke up and your car or your phone wasn't charged in the morning? Not fun, right? Not fun at all. But we got to place our trust in him, not just in the small things, but in the big things. And I don't want you to come away with this like, okay, i got to place my trust in God, and you're standing there at the breakfast counter in the morning like, do I eat a Pop-Tart or a bagel, God? Tell me a sign. Let's be honest, it's Pop-Tart every time, right? Right? Let's be honest. We don't, we got to trust him with every aspect of our life, especially the big things. Especially the big moments. The things that make you scared a little bit. That make you pull back. Trust that God is going to do something great. But the reality is that Abraham struggled with that too. Here are some key moments where Abraham and Sarah didn't trust God. First one, I call it sister act. Right? Genesis 12, 10 through 20. 
This is right after he gets the initial blessing. You're going to be a great nation and everything else. So they have a famine and they go to Egypt. And he's looking, he's like, well, my wife Sarai, who's now Sarah, or becomes Sarah, she's gorgeous. And I'm going to take her to a foreign land. And if somebody wants to marry her, they're going to kill me to get her. So, hey, honey, we got a family meeting. Um, I'm now your brother. Let's do that, right? That's what he does. He says, tell people that I'm your brother. I don't bet you that's weird, right? It's just weird. And that would not fly, right? That, in our households, that wouldn't fly. No. So they go down there, and guess who gets eyes of her? Oh, Pharaoh, you know, the God king, right? And giving, so Pharaoh marries her, Sarah, and, uh, and in this time, Pharaoh finds out, like, hey, this isn't, this isn't your wife. This is actually this guy named Abram's wife. And what you're doing is terrible. And, and God actually, like, inflicted disease on Pharaoh's household. So at the time, like, Pharaoh's like, why did you trick me? Take your wife back. Boom. And they're gone, right? Abraham did not trust God in that moment. He did not trust God to walk in as the husband. No, he was scared. He feared the temporary, not the eternal in that moment. So the second point is this, a couple chapters later, I call it, here's my maidservant. Sarah, wanting to give an heir to Abraham, says, well, since I can't conceive, you know what? I'll give my maidservant to Abraham, and they will have a child, and that's, you know, that's how that inheritance will go. Is that a good idea, people? No. Abraham could have said, no, God's blessed us. And, and this will happen. we got to stay truthful. Instead, he's like, okay, right? So he has some relations with this maidservant. She gets pregnant, right? And the moment she gets pregnant, she, her relationship with um, Sarah gets really bad, really rough, and it gets really terrible. And they actually have a child together. And it's just it's an awful, bad situation. Why? Because Abraham and Sarah put their trust in the temporary and not the eternal. Then I go to our third one here, which is what I call Sister Act 2. Back in the habit, which if you're playing along, that's the actual name of Sister Act 2. If you want to watch it on whatever streaming there is there. But similar, a very similar story happens. In the give, Abraham <clears throat> goes with his wife, and she's much older, he's much older, um, both, you know, she's around 90, he's around 100, and he's like, man, she's still beautiful, and if I go into this area, they may kill me, I'm fearful for my life, so guess what, you're my sister again, wink, wink, right? I mean, if I was Sarah, about, right, like backhand, but sure enough, she goes there, and the king's like, like, not, she's gorgeous. And so he sends his people, gets her to be a, his wife, and God, God stops having any of the household in that area for, of the king to having, being able to conceive children. And, and God actually comes to the king and, and talks to him and says, this is not your wife. This is this man Abraham's wife. And he's so upset with it. He goes back to Abraham, why are you doing this to me? Like, this God is going to come down and cast judgment on me. And he's like, well, I thought, I thought, you know, you know, I, I thought you were going to kill me, and I was afraid of that, so this and that. And so they made this, and he's like, get out of here. Boom, they kicked him out, right? All these things, we keep looking back, and we see that 
Abraham was trying to place his trust in what he thought was best. And I don't know about you, but when I place all of my trust in what I think is best, it doesn't go well. We have to learn to trust God. When you don't trust God, you will make bad decisions. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. When you are placing everything that you have and everything that you know into your trust of yourself, it's going to end up bad because you are limited on your understanding of who God is and what he wants for your life. In the midst of all these bad decisions, we see that God was still holding on to this relationship with Abraham. Even though he made these decisions, he was faithful to Abraham because, believe it or not, Abraham was still faithful to him. He still longed for a relationship with him. I mean, they had, in one, earlier chapters, they had a whole conversation on whether or not Sodom and Gomorrah would be destroyed. And because of his relationship that Abraham had with God, he argued for him, like, even, are there even like 10 righteous people? Would you destroy it, right? And it withheld his judgment, God's judgment for a time. This was a relationship that he had. But we must understand this one thing. That God's plan of salvation is bigger than our failures. I don't know about you, but Jimmy's failed a lot in this world. I've messed up. I've done a lot of terrible things. Abraham has done a lot of messed up things. Let's just say, if he was a senior minister of a church, he wouldn't be, he wouldn't be around anymore, right? Like, this is just weird stuff. But yet God had a plan bigger than that. And God is constantly fixing our messes and turning something that looks like garbage into something beautiful. He works through that. He's bigger than our failures. So you may be thinking to yourself, okay, what do I do with that, Jimmy? Like, yes, okay, he has struggles with trust with God. I struggle with trust with God. What, how do I... How do I redeem that? How do I get better at that? And it kind of brings me to these four things that we can do. How to build trust with God. First, and I know I've said it before up here, but we need to humble, you need to humble yourself and admit that you don't know everything. I think last time I was up here, I think we said that all together, if you guys remember. I don't know everything. The truth is, as scary as that statement is, it's extremely freeing. Because it means that you're ready to learn from other people. And ultimately, you're ready to learn and hear from God. You're able to be open and like a sponge and soaking up who he is, what his heart is for. And it will change you. Second is this, spend dedicated time with him. I said dedicated time because, let's be honest, all of us connect with God in a different way, don't we? There's a book, if you're really struggling on how to best connect with God, there's a book out there called Sacred Pathways. And in the book, you kind of take a little bit of an aptitude test, and it tells you, like, how you best connect with God. And I found out to myself several years ago that I connect with him through worship and through nature. And I find when I am not doing, making wise choices, and my anger is getting more and more abundant, and I'm just not being Christ-like, it's because I've starved myself from those two things. 
that I've not spent dedicated time with him in nature. Now I'll tell you this, dedicated time should always involve reading his word and talking to him. But those, how you do that is your own way. But it has to be dedicated. It has to be something that you make a priority for. You schedule into your life. Letter C is this. Make a list of the times that God has been faithful in your life. This is huge. We remember the worst things so much better than the best, don't we? Like the, the negative sticks out so much more in our lives than the positives do. We focus on negatives so much. We must be willing to remind ourselves of the faithfulness that God has in your life. You need to write those big things down because the truth is we don't see that God is faithful when we are struggling. And I know there's many times you could probably look back in your life and say, you know what, that time in my life was terrible. But what I know now, I saw what God was doing in that time. But in the moment, you didn't see it. This is a reminder of how God is faithful to him. He had to literally talk and tell Abraham five different times what he was going to do, right? We have to remind ourselves what God is doing for us. And the last thing is this. Learn to be comfortable with the pain of waiting on God. And that's tough. We have to learn to be comfortable with the pain. And understand it's not him who's causing the pain. No, it's the evil one. It's the poor decisions that we make because of the sinful nature of this world. But we have to be able to be waiting for him, waiting for his move. Because he, as Louis Giglio always says, he paints on a canvas bigger than our eyes can see. And what he's doing here, we don't see until there. We have to be okay with that. And that's hard. But that is building trust. But that brings me to my last point, is this. That God will always give you an opportunity to trust him and to show the world his glory. Don't sit back and say, well, Jimmy, I have messed up so many times. I, you don't know my life, Jimmy. You don't know my backstory. You don't know where I came from. You don't know where I'm at right now. You don't know what I did last night. I'm telling you this, God will always give you an opportunity to build that trust. He always gives you that opportunity to do something for him because it's not about you. It's about his mission. It's about him going after the lost people in our world. Not just in your houses or in your schools or in your workplaces, but all over the world. And he can, if he can work through Abraham's problems and use him to do something great, he surely can do that for you, and he wants to do that for you. So finally, we come to kind of the end, more of the end of his story here, Abraham's story. In, ver in chapter 21, we find out that a uh, Sarah actually gives birth to a son, conceives and gives birth to a son. She laughs about it, right? Like, huh, I'm like 90 years old, having a baby. Crazy. And they name him Isaac. And then it says that sometime later, God tells Abraham to take his son Isaac and to go up to a place where he's going to show him 
and to offer him as a sacrifice to God to show how obedient he is. I don't know about you, but as a father, this is a hard story. This is a difficult story. I mean, maybe if, like, I was a father of a teenager, it might be a little easier. Like, <laughs> let's be honest, right? But I don't see it that way, and I don't think neither did God. And so he gets Isaac up and packs him up, and they get their stuff together, and they start going up. And, and he's asking, like, okay, Dad, well, where's the, where's the lamb that's going to be slain, right? Like, where's the sacrifice? He's like, oh, yeah, um, what's that over there? Like, trying to distract him. Finally, here it picks up in verse 9. It says this. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar, and they arranged wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on top of the altar, or on the altar, on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and he took his knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God. Get that? Fear God. You can change that out with trust God. Obeys God, loves God, that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and he took the ram and he sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of a son. So Abraham called the place the Lord will provide. And those of us who have heard this before, that's actually the, the name Jehovah Jireh. The Lord will provide. So if you ever hear me say something like Jehovah Jireh, I'm telling you, don't worry about it. It may be a problem, but the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. And the angel of the Lord said to Abraham from a second uh, time, and it said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will, descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies. And through your offspring, all the nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Now, it Abraham didn't fully understand this, I don't think. We have the privilege of seeing and knowing the story of Jesus and looking back and seeing the prophecy in this alone. Look at the story. A father takes his son to sacrifice. Jesus Christ came to this earth, walked upon, upon it, sinless, dealt with everything that we had to deal with, was tempted beyond all means. And then he laid down on that wood and he was sacrificed. That is a blessing we receive. That is the blessing you are to give other people so that we can reach the lost, so that they know that there is a God out there that loves him and sacrificed his own son for them. This is an amazing thing that God has blessed us with. It's, in our, it's our job 
to take that to the world. Now, I need to let you know that we're not done yet. I need to get you to Egypt from this story. So I'm going to take a drink of water. And buckle up, because here we go. Isaac had two sons, right? Jacob and Esau. Esau was the older son. Esau had the, you know, inheritance. And so Jacob, whose name means deceiver, uh, tricked Jacob or Esau out of his inheritance, but also tricked his dad out of giving the inheritance to him. By Actually, his dad was old. Isaac was old. He couldn't see very well. Put fur on his arm because Esau was a hairy guy. And he felt him. He was like, oh, I'll give you my blessing. So then Jacob, who now has a blessing, leaves, and he takes on four wives. Is that wise, anyone? No, not at all. But he decides to do it because he's not wise. And so he really only loves one, name's Rachel, but he gets tricked by this guy, his uncle named Laban, who cheats him out of all this stuff, and he has to work really hard for all this stuff. And so that kind of actually humbles, humbles Jacob, which is a good thing. Well, then we get this weird story where Jacob is wrestling God, right? Anybody remember this? As a wrestler growing up, I was like, this is awesome, right? But it's a weird story. They're wrestling, and he, he was going so much, that and, and fighting back and forth, and he demands that God gives him his blessing. And God, seeing that he is determined in this, allows him to have that blessing, continuing on this blessing through this lineage, right? But God goes, ha-ha, I'm going to get the end of you. And he pokes him in his hip, and next thing you know, like he hobbles around for a little while, right? From there... Jacob has 12 sons. Now, he really loves his 11th son. Does anyone know his name? Joseph, right? And he had a coat of what? Many psychedelic colors, right? No, I'm just joking. But he had many colors. Now, um, Joseph, being the young kid who kind of runs his mouth a little too much, uh, was telling his older brothers about all these different dreams he has and how they'll bow down to him one day. And they got really fed up with him and got jealous that, that Jacob loved him so much. So they were going to kill him. And then one of us was like, maybe we shouldn't kill him, but let's sell him to uh, the slave traders over there and tell dad that we killed him. That sounds like a good idea. Is that a good idea? No. But they did it. Sold him. Goes over there. He gets bought by this guy named Potiphar, who was an official in Egypt. And then he gets part of Potiphar's, wife, or Potiphar's, Potiphar's life. And as he's there, he does so well and he's so obedient to God that God promotes him to second, the, high, the, the highest of the household. And then Potiphar's wife goes, hey. That Jewish kid is hot, right? And so she gets like all like handsy with him. And she, he's like, no, I can't have you. And so he runs away. She grabs his coat. And because she's rejected and a scorned woman, she goes and yells at her husband, look what your, this servant tried to make a fool out of me and tried to make game of me. And so he has him thrown in jail. As he's in jail, he's still faithful to God, gets moved up to be second in charge of jail, which is weird. I didn't think you'd do that, but you could apparently. In jail, he meets these two guys, a cupbearer, right? And we also have the bread maker. They both have dreams. One's going to be a good end. The other one's not going to be a good end. And the good end guy goes up. He, I think he's the cupbearer. And uh, he said, remember me when you go up there and tell the, the Pharaoh about everything I did. He goes, okay. Years later, um, Pharaoh has this dream that really worries me, him. He can't find anyone in the land to figure out what the dream is. And so... At that time, the cupbearer's like, oh, I remember when I was in prison, there was this guy who interpreted a dream. You should have him come and do it. They're like, okay, cool. Brings him up there, right? 
interprets a dream and he says, here's what the dream is. Guess what? You're going to have seven years of feast and amazing things and then seven years of famine. So what you should do, great Pharaoh, is that store up as much as you can for that seven. And he goes, well, that's a great idea. I like you and you're faithful to God, so I'm going to promote you. He becomes second in Egypt in charge of gathering all this grain. Gets all the grain, gets all the food. They gather it. The famine is severe. The famine is harsh. And then all the world's nations start coming to Egypt to get the grain. And one day in line, there's his brothers. And you would think, oh, payback. But no, he does, he does a little bit of payback. But he's like, he said, go back and get your, your father. I want him in, to see, see him again. And so they go and get his father. They're reconnected again. It's a beautiful thing. There is no retribution to his, to his brothers. But at the end of Jacob's life, when he dies... The brothers are still so scared of Joseph. They ask him, please don't kill us, right? We know what we did was wrong. And this is what he says in Genesis 50, verse 20. He says, you intended harm to me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Things get done to us in our life but God can turn them around. You are blessed to be a blessing. You are blessed to be a blessing to turn people back to our king. So my question is, are you ready to start sharing your blessing? Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for this day. I thank you for being a great God that is patient with us, that has to reinforce his ideas many times because we are not that wise. I thank you for giving us the Bible that we can lean back to and see these stories and pull them out and apply them to our lives. Lord, I hope that this message that you gave today impacts our lives here and make its ripples go out into our everyday world. Lord, let us do our best to gather people back to you. Let us be open to your blessings and let us use those to gather others. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.